Okay, Luke chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 27. This is an interesting story. Actually, we're going to read, I'm not going to say quite a lot, but there's four, four stories that are going to, in a sense, uh, highlight the main teaching. The first story is about this guy named Levi. You know him as Matthew. He wrote the book of Matthew, verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him, made Jesus, a great feast in his house. There was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but I have come to call the sinners to repentance. And they said to him, the disciples of John fast often, and they offer prayers. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on a Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence which is not lawful for any, but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with them. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come. And stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, all he said to them, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. I want you to go back to chapter 5 in verse 36. I believe this is sort of what I'm going to say is the core of these two passages that brings them together and the, the principles will radiate upward and downward from it. He basically says, here's a story, here's a parable. A parable is a metaphor that teaches a spiritual truth. It's a metaphor, we understand it, which really goes deeper to the real meaning. 
And he says, no one tears a piece from a new garment and puts on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. He's basically saying if you take an old garment, it rips, cut off a piece, and put a new garment and stitch it. After a while, that new garment, it's more flexible. It will bend. The old garment, probably of leather or something, is crustier, and it won't flex. And what will happen, it will rip out. So it's really, it doesn't work to take old or new and put it on old. And he even brings that illustration even further into wineskins. And he says, so you have with these wineskins, basically some people say it's either a bladder, but whatever it is, it's animal leather. And you know if you take animal leather, get it wet, it shrinks. It's hard. And an old wineskin, the old wine has been in there a while, it's fermented a while, so it's not going to do fermentation, but if you take out the old wine and put new wine in, the new wine will ferment and it will push that crackly leather out and it will start seeping and breaking. So you need to get new wine skins for the new wine. And so there's a lot of questions. What in the world does this mean? So the title of this message today is basically Wine Skins, the Tax Man, and a Withered Hand. So all these stories are going to illustrate the wine skin. They are going to give, Jesus is using the wineskin as a metaphor to show you the heart of the Pharisees versus the true follower of Jesus. It's really what it is. But to help understand this wineskin, I want to talk about hermeneutics for a second. Hermeneutics is the study of how to rightly understand the Bible. Because there's a lot of passage in especially in the New Testament and the Gospels, that are hard to understand. And so there's a principle called progressive revelation. Progressive revelation is stuff we find later in the epistles, like Ephesians or Romans, Galatians, even let's get to like First and Second Peter, that is called progressive, that's newer information. It sheds light on older information. For instance, let's say we were watching... We were watching the movie The Fugitive, probably the number one TNT movie. So all of you have probably seen The Fugitive. It's about this doctor who kills his wife, and in the end, it's the one-armed man that killed his wife. So let's just say you knew right away it was the one-armed man. You knew it. So all through, and let's say the cops in the movie knew it. Let's say the doctor knew it, and let's say even the federal investigators knew it was a one-armed man because they had the information ahead of time then the doctor wouldn't have to go through all that problem of running and hiding. You wouldn't have a movie either. It would be a terrible movie because you'd all, you already know the story. In a way, we as Christians, we know the answers. We really do. But often what we do is it's like we act like we don't know it and we struggle with some very difficult passages. So let me give you what I would say is one of the most important verses in the Bible to understand to give you reference on the whole Bible. It's, it's in the book of Galatians. Go ahead and put it up there. Galatians 3, 23 and 24. Paul is telling you the purpose of the law. Why did Moses give the law? Why did the Pharisees have such strict rules? Why was there the Sabbath? Because he said, now before faith came, before faith in Christ came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. 
So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. This is so important, but it's as if we kind of forget it all the time. Don't ever forget this. This is light to help you understand everything in the Old Testament. So if you ask somebody, are you a good Christian? Yep, I do the law. <laughs> you can't do the law. It is, it, its intention is to reveal your sin and draw you to Christ. It, it's, it's a guardian leading you, leading you to Jesus where all the answers are. Are you, how faithful are you? Well, I do, I do the Sabbath every day. I don't cut the grass. Is that the purpose? And we kind of forget this. The purpose is Christ. The purpose is Christ. And so what happens is we kind of wrestle with what are the old and new wineskins? I'm not sure. This brings complete light on it. The old wineskins are the law. The new wineskins are Christ. So let me show you like this. Here's the anatomy of the wineskin. The wineskin is you have, you know, this bladder, or you, if you've been, it's kind of like if you take a, go on a hiking trip and you have one of those old Davy uh, Crockett wineskins, you know, you have the container, and the container is animal skin of leather. That animal skin is just a container, the organization that contains the liquid. So you can put it like it, it's the outward part. It's the vehicle God uses to carry the vital substance, the message, the gospel. And then you have the inside part, the wine. The wine is that thing that gives life. For us, it gives us significance, meaning, identity, joy. So the outward part, the skin, carries the inward part, the thing that really matters. The thing that really matters. That's really the best way to put it. The wine is the thing that really matters. So what is the old wine? What is the old wine skin? The old wine skin is religious legalism. And that, in this case, Jesus is talking to Pharisees. It's Judaism. It's obeying all the Mosaic law, Levitical laws, the Sabbath laws, sacrificial laws, the basically the purity laws. It's all of these laws from Genesis, really Exodus, all the way up to Deuteronomy. It's obedience, obedience. And then the Pharisees add basically prescriptions or 600 other laws inferred out of the original laws. So it's this whole system of religious legalism. And the point of it is to promote me. If I can do these laws, look how good I am. It's self-pride. It's, it's a way that I prove I am righteous, self-righteousness. Go to Romans chapter uh, 10. Romans 10 is so clear on this. Ah, that, doesn't that feel good when that air conditioner goes off? Oh, so nice. Romans 10. This to me, if you really want to understand this law versus grace, old wine, new wine skins, you got to know this. He says in verse 10, and Paul, Paul is a Jew, and he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, means the, the Jews, the religious legalists, those who really find their identity in the law, is that they may be saved. I want them to be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. They, they want God. They want to 
obey him, but not according to knowledge. It means they're sort of, they're wrong. They're wrongly passionate. Have you ever been wrongly passionate? ISIS terrorists are wrongly passionate. They're passionate. They'll cut your head off, but they're wrong. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to Christ, God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law, but righteous to everyone who believes. Verse 3 is the key. They wanted to establish their own righteousness. That's pride. Pride says, I can do it without God. The law is beautiful in helping us feel that way. See? I went... Every, I never, ever cut the grass on Sunday. See that? See how good I am. Or you come across those people, I, I never had alcohol touch these lips. Never. See how good I am. Don't ask him if he's ever had Geritol or anything like that. There is alcohol in that. But don't tell him. So the thing is, it's me. It's about me. And look how good I am. That's the old wine. To me, really what it is, old wine, is it promotes my goodness without help from God. I don't need them because I got the law. So what's the new wine? The new wine, really, you can say it's faith or it's grace in Christ. It's the construct that God gives me everything regardless of what I've done, and I believe it, I embrace it, and it's mine, and I live in it. The grace of Christ, honestly, is Christ himself. That's what verse 4 says. Verse 4 of chapter 10, For Christ, him alone, is the end of the law. In Christ, in Christ, is the fullness of the Godhead, but he fulfilled the law perfectly. When Jesus said, I've come to fulfill the law, it's kind of like, I've come to do it and be done with it. No, I've come to show you what it looks like in the fullness of its form, and I'm it. I am what the law is intending to be. It's a person. Grace of Christ is a person. We've got to realize our belief is in a person, not a system. A person, not a system. So many of you have grown up in systems where it's what's given you identity. When you're a little kid, you can remember how, what, is, what does it mean to be a Christian? For me, being a Christian was... Confirmation classes, Easter Sunday services, wearing, wearing itchy sweaters during holidays. That's what Christian is. No, Christianity is a person named Christ having an amazing, intimate walk with him. And that's the wine. The wine is, I can't do it. See, if you look at verse 1, Brother, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is they may be what? Saved. This is saying, I need Jesus to rescue me, to do it for me, to be my everything. That's the new wine. And you'll see how it plays out. And so in a sense, this, this wineskin debate is the age-old debate of works versus grace. Is it works or grace? Works or grace. And intellectually, most of us, we understand the issues, but are you sure you're living it? Are you sure, which, which wine are you drinking? I think some of you might intellectually say, I am all for faith, but what, does your, what wine are you really drinking? That's the key. Because 
it's sort of like the more the wine that you drink, the more it controls you, and it's able to see what comes out. So what wine are you drinking? Are you drinking old wine? Are you drinking too much of the old wine? Because there's easy ways to tell, and there's three different vintages we find in this Luke passage. First, vintage 30 of Luke 5.30. This is the way you can tell if you've been drinking too much legalism, too much old school stuff. So you have really the story is Levi. He's a tax collector, and tax collectors were, they were not considered, they're considered the way we consider politicians, really. If you say, do you trust Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, that's what, you do, do you trust the tax collectors? Eh, I just have to deal with it. I got to put up with it. Part of life. Just got that's, that's how tax collectors were. They were sort of how we talk about lawyers. <laughs> just got to deal with them. So the best way to put it is tax collectors of their day, well, they're like the IRS, but more importantly, like lawyers or they're like, Politicians. Every time you went into town, every time you went out of town to maybe sell some of your wares, if you had a profit, you had to come back into town, pass the toll booth, and pay excise taxes. Or, hmm, did you make 100 bucks? The tax here is a 5% tax, so if you want to get back in the city, you owe me 5 bucks, 10 bucks. If you had a bad tax collector, you had a lot of Roman soldiers, it be 20% tax. So they're hated people. They cut into your bottom line. I don't like that. And so verse 27, Jesus goes after a guy that's a tax collector to be his disciple. Paul, that's crazy. Levi then had a party for him. And in verse 30, and the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled. Somehow they must have, some people are like, well, they weren't at the party. Well, they, uh, either they were looking in the windows or they heard the gossip. Jesus was where? Funny, Dave Cummings and our men's prayer partner says, "Why did the Pharisees? Man, they're always why? They, why do they care so much what Jesus does? Because he's full of joy and they're jealous. That's really what it is." So, verse thirty, their question is this: This is what they're at. This is what they're saying. This is how you can tell you're drinking too much old wine. It's what they're doing in verse thirty. You avoid. They avoid the tax collectors and sinners, and they judge them because they're outside the community. And really the reason they judge them and they, they avoid them is because they don't want to be polluted by them. I was thinking, I was reading a lot of different commentaries and they were saying, well, they felt superior to the sinner. And, and really that wasn't it. They considered the sinner unclean. And if you sit at a house with a sinner, it will pollute you. It's not an issue of superiority. The Pharisees already thought they were superior to fellow Jews. It's an issue of not getting tainted, not being unclean. Those people aren't like us, and I don't want to be like them, and I don't want to get their virus, whatever they have. I don't want to be ruined. We, we do that all the time. But denominationally, you know, Baptists can't hang out with, uh, you know, Methodists, and Methodists can't hang out the reforms. You know those Methodists believe you can lose your salvation. You know, and reforms don't. We don't want. We don't want to meet. You know, they might influence my kid. I don't talk to them. They're wrong. We're separating. I want to talk to them. 
Our denomination, which is the GRBC, used to separate with the Southern Baptist Convention. It's called second-degree separation because they had some people in their convention that were tended to be a little liberal. We didn't want them infiltrating our schools. Cedarville said, no big deal, and Cedarville's kicked right out of there. And then now you have Cornerstone, and now everything's gone to pot because we don't separate anymore. Doggone it. We're going to be polluted. We do that with, um, we do that, believe it or not, with sports teams. I cannot stand the Michigan fight song. It gets in my kids' heads, and they can't get rid of it, so they will never listen to that song. You see what I mean? It poisons you. Poisons you. What is a, you know, you guys make fun of the Buckeyes. A Wolverine, seriously? It's teeny. It's tiny. Brutus the Buckeye can step on it. You see how this pollution thing? We, it even goes deeper than that. Whites and blacks. I don't, I don't want, you know, those African songs in our church. You? You want them hooting, hollering when they preach? You know, you know what I mean? It's that we don't want that culture. We're so scared of being polluted. It's weird. It's a sign. When we separate like this and when we judge so quick, it's a sign. We're drinking the old wine and sinners and saints. When we really look down on sinners and we just, you know, just don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand how those sinners could be so sinful. Well, they're sinners. Look at Vintage 33. Vintage 33 is this question of fasting. You see, Jesus was having too good a time. He's actually going to parties. They didn't like that. Vintage 33, listen to this. The Pharisees came up to him and said to the disciples that John fast all the time, very often. Fasting is when you don't, you know, you're basically, a lot of times you are in sackcloth and ashes. Your demeanor is downcast, and you don't eat that much, so you're weaker. And the purpose of fasting is because you're dissatisfied with conditions now. In fact, the reason you pray and fast is because you want the presence of God to enter. The Pharisees' disciples do, but you, yours eat and drink. Why do theirs eat and drink? Because don't they have God with them? Why do they need to fast? Why are they dissatisfied when they're with Christ? Fasting is saying, I don't like my condition. Why would I fast when Jesus is with me? That's the point. That's what they're saying. See, the reason they fasted was for, here's the thing, you will be loyal to the ritual for the ritual's sake and the display of self-righteousness. Why did they fast? Because they were supposed to fast. So they were fasting for fasting's sake. But when they fasted for fasting's sake, you're supposed to go, wow, aren't they religious? Oh, and they love it when you say this. I could never do that. Man, they are better. Oh, they're, they're really serious Christians. I've often heard it like this. Did you ever have Jehovah Witnesses come and knock on your door and they're like, Wow, those people are dedicated. I'm just not dedicated like them. As if there's this, that, is that the point of walking with God? Is to be busy? 
so you think I'm better at being busier than you are? They are being, they are fasting for self-righteousness sake. Jesus said there's going to be a time in verse 35 when they, the bridegroom's going to be taken away, then they'll fast. Fasting is a desire of the heart to have God in your life. It's a great thing, but it's not a thing to display. I feel that this is so easy. This is so easy to get a hold of your heart. You know, we don't have Wednesday night prayer groups like we used to. So people are like, we just don't pray anymore. No, we do. We offer it in a lot of different venues now. We offer it in small fellowship groups. Yeah, but that's not Wednesday night, as if Wednesday night's the only time God hears you. We have this gathering that we're trying to promote prayer, but Saturday's tough for people. It just is. It's sad, but it is. And I'm not, I like to guilt people. Last time I guilted people, we had the biggest Sunday night ever. I'm going to keep guilting. It, the only person will come is Doug Kruger because he always feels guilty. It's the only one. But we, we have so many different arenas for prayer, but people just say, you know what, that's not real prayer. Why not? Because that's not Wednesday night. That's why. It's kind of weird. I remember growing up at church where the liturgy was the liturgy. Even though as a kid I didn't know what I was saying, but I said it. And I said the liturgy, and we need the liturgy to have the liturgy. If you know what the liturgy is, it's this. The Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up our hearts. Open up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. Boy, I'm good at that, but I have no idea what I've, I just said. But I did it every Sunday because you do the liturgy for the liturgy's sake. My grandfather would pray the rosary every day. He lived with us for a while. He'd sit on our couch, pray the rosary every day. I'd come screaming in outside from a baseball game. Turn on my show. Happy days is on. Happy days. I want to see the pond. My grandpa would say, turn that off. I'm in the middle of prayer. Get out of here. Literally, that's what his rosary time was like. We all had to leave the living room because he had to do the rosary. It's rosary for rosary's sake. And there's, you'll see in a second. And then the final vintage is 6-2, verse 6. They're going through the grain fields. The disciples were plucking just some wheat and eating it, rubbing them in their hands. And the Pharisee says, why are you doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath? That's not necessarily true. It, was a, it wasn't necessarily biblical. Not to, you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. And they got the Sabbath so minute, they said, if you take a grain and rub it in your fingers, that's work, which is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But they had all of these real specific rules, what's work and what's not work. And then, basically, this is how you know if you're drinking from this vintage of 6-2, you assume... And you expect everyone in the community to abide by all these widely accepted norms. So the leaders determine what righteousness looks like so everybody can form. you got to do it that way. Because that's what the leaders say. You know the guy that sits up here like here? He points over there, Josh, where's your tie? Where's? Ooh, he doesn't have his tie. Oh, man. He doesn't have his tie. There's so many different rules we put in. You can't cut grass on Sunday. I know some of you feel like you're going to hell if you cut grass on Sunday. Like, I know it. I feel that. 
Where'd that come from? Is that really what the Sabbath is? Actually, we at the men's retreat, that guy was a Seventh-day Adventist. He had to leave Friday because Saturday had to worship. In a sense, he's more Sabbath right. It's not Sunday. Sunday is a time of grace. But we, we have rules that guide us. And they're, why, they're norms. I can't break those norms. It's funny, about four years ago, it was, no, it was about seven years ago, I was in my mom's pool swimming, and my nephew came up to, to me while he's swimming because I'm throwing him back and forth in the pool. And, I, you know, it's, he's like a little kid, and I was in the deep with him, and he looks at me, he goes, you're not a pastor, are you? And I said, why not? He goes, because you swim with your shirt off. You're not a pastor. I said, why? My pastor wouldn't be caught dead at a pool. Those kind of things. That sounds goofy. Just, do you guys have any norms that come to the top of your head right now? Jerry, you got any that come to the top of your head? So that was it. That was part of your... You feel bad? Feel guilt? You're guilt-ridden, aren't you, Jerry? Anybody else? Any other norms? Jerry, do you have any norms? Oh, on Sunday. How, that, how many of you were not allowed to go to the theater, but you could rent the video and bring it home? Rhonda, the truth is coming out. I can't go support Hollywood, but how much is it at the video store? It's weird. Here's the, here's how, here's the problem if you start letting these sink into your skin. Have you ever seen an old drunk? An old drunk, he'd form these habits, he'll never change. He just, he just gets, he'll, he'll take a sip and he gets instantly drunk. Here's how you can tell if you're an old drunk. You're just stuck in your ways. You find no joy. You find joy in other people's misery. So because you have to wear that tie, doggone everybody else going to wear that tie. And I'm glad none of you are happy about it. I'm glad you aren't happy about it. So my joy is in your misery. I like making you miserable. It's weird. It's really weird. If you grew up in a church like I did, you'd understand exactly what I'm talking about. It was intended to be miserable. That's what reverence is. Reverence is misery. Is it? It's funny. In the Old Testament, it says when the temple was built, second temple, they were shouting in reverence. And it says you could hear them a mile away. How is reverence shouting? We think it's misery. Sullenness. Beating myself on the back. And then you're not receptive to the new wine of God. When other people just find joy, you just get mad at them. So what are we supposed to do? Well, we're supposed to glory in the new wine. If we go back to uh, Jesus and Levi in chapter 5, verse 27, the first thing we find is that this wine is for everybody. It's not just for the, the certain group, the certain community, it's intended for everybody. Levi, tax collector. Jesus wants. Levi, the tax collector, Jesus wants. Does Jesus want Muslims? Does Jesus want lesbians? Does Jesus want ex-Roman Roman Catholics? Does Jesus want 
people that are miserable. He wants everybody. Why? Because he made them in his image. Everybody's in his image. He went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a tax booth, and he said, follow me. And in verse 29, is fascinating. It says, Levi made him the feast. There was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. So that means Jesus and Levi were reclining at a table with other tax collectors. And that phrase, reclining at the table, to the Pharisees means acceptance. Jesus is accepting their lifestyle. He's not accepting their lifestyle, but he's accepting them as human beings. And that's, okay, and that's right. So I just want to get off on a sidetrack. If you read my blog, you're a step ahead. But I just want to talk for a second about Christians and parties. What do we do with parties? I have, because that phrase, Levi made a great feast, and there was a large number of tax collectors that were reclining at the table with them. A great feast, a great feast. They had a lot of wine and meat, and Jesus was there. That's weird for a lot of us to hear. So what do we do? The first thing is I'd say Jesus went to where the sinners are. That's why he says, in verse 31, those who have no need of a physician but of sick. I'm going to the people who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. So he went to where sinners are because, in a sense, his statement is, he's saying the Pharisees think they're well, but really they're sick too. That's All of us are sick. We're all sick. And so Jesus went to sinners are. Is it okay to go where sinners are? it is even expected that you learn sometimes to even like sinners. He went to Levi's house for a major, major feast, probably 50 of his closest tax-collecting non-religious friends. Even to the point where, like, um, he's known as the prophet that comes eating and drinking. Where John came fasting. You came eating and drinking. That's Luke 7.34. Why would Jesus go? Why would he go? Why wouldn't he go? That's really the question. Why wouldn't he go? He doesn't want to be stained or polluted. Jesus is completely holy. He'll never be stained. It's called the impeccability of Christ. We talked about that. They are all made in his image. They're all image bearers. And remember, you too once were a sinner. You might say, oh, no, I wasn't. Yes, you was. You too was a sinner. You were. You were. Question is, do you like people? Or do you only have enough compassion for your immediate family and a few close friends? That's a huge question. Do you like people or do you only have enough compassion for your immediate family and a few close friends? Do you even care that people all around you are perishing? And here's a deep question. Can you like someone who is holding a beer? That's a hard question for some of you. Or are they, the German word, verboten. It's the German word for forbidden. It's what the Germans would call the Jews. They, he, the reason the Germans say the Jews, they said the Jews carried a virus. They're unclean. Are you worried? They may, the sinner might be carrying a virus that if you befriend them, they might lead you down their road too. If you're worried that somebody will lead you down their road too, do you really know Christ? 
So this leads right into the second one. Don't just go where sinners are, but when you go where sinners are, bring Jesus with you. Bring Jesus with you. It's not hard for Jesus to go to the party. The hard part for people is to bring Jesus with them to the party. That is hard to do. But that's what you're called to do. Are you not an ambassador for Christ? Or are you embarrassed? The amazing thing about the story of Levi is that Levi was so excited about Jesus, his party was for Jesus himself. The party was for Jesus. I saw this church, and I think we should do this around, really around Christmas time. They'd have a double date dinner about Christmas. So two people from a church would invite two non-Christians over for dinner, and they just wanted to share the story of, the, of Christmas and then enjoy the rest of the night together. I think that would be amazing if we did that. If any of you want to start that, I think it would be amazing. I just don't have time for it. So somebody, Jared, you start that. That's what he's associate pastor for. Double. <laughs> That's too bad. You're paid, so you have to put up with it. But, but Levi was proud that Jesus was his rabbi. It's okay to go to a party for the party's sake, but are you identified with Christ or aren't you? If you will are, you'll, you'll basically behave in different ways. And this is where the third point comes in. The goal is for people to like Christ. And this has two flavors to it. First of all, the first flavor is if they don't like you, they probably won't like Christ. So if you're in the corner and all you're doing is shaking your head that there's a keg, man, you're dull and you leave early and nobody, you don't want to talk to anybody. You just say, what a rotten party. Boy, Jesus is a lot of fun. But on the other side, well, which I'd say allow yourself to laugh. There are some funny jokes sometimes that you should laugh at. Don't laugh at things that Jesus died for. That would be my rule of thumb for humor. Don't laugh at the things that Jesus died for. Which means the dignity of human beings. Don't laugh at just rottenness. I don't think Jesus mind laughing. But I would say this. A drunk Jesus is not Jesus. An angry Jesus is not Jesus. A shallow, frivolous Jesus is not Jesus. A Jesus that only talks about the biggest fish catch in the latest sports game. You can talk about that, but hopefully it leads to more conversation than just that. We want people to meet Jesus because God is pleased to reveal his son through you. Do people. That's a huge one. It's more important for people to like Christ than you. So let's go back to the wine, the new wine. The second thing about the new wine, not only is it available to everybody, but it's good, and it's good for you. So look at verse 528. This is amazing. After Levi was asked to follow Jesus, he rose, gave up everything, and followed him. Meaning by everything, he gave up his job for that because he knew his job wasn't godly, so he gave that up. Why? Because the pearl of great price is so much better. And then the feast was for he who loved. Because he really did think Jesus tasted great. He was great. This is objectively hard to explain, but subjectively when Christ has changed your life, it's, 
It's amazing. You know, like even going to church, like in a way as a pastor, Memorial Day weekends are tough because you kind of have that. wish people would show up. But I don't really care. I just want you to, if you love Christ, you'll want to be where the things of Christ go on. It's funny, in our men's, in our men's, we went to a men's retreat, and on, sat, on last Friday, we had a men's retreat. It was supposed to be simple and just sermons. On one Friday, we had four sermons. And there were a lot of guys that came back and go, can we get more teaching on Friday? <laughs> because those are the guys that, it just tastes good. Hearing the words of God, I love it. I love it. And not only is he good, but he's good for you. Look at 6, 9. This story I'm sorry, this is the saddest story in the whole Bible to me. A man with a withered hand, he couldn't use his hand. Probably, you know, pick up a glass, like, that works, but he can't. He's got a withered hand, and it's the Sabbath. And they brought him forward to see if Jesus would heal him or not, if he'd break the Sabbath or not. That's sick. And there's a lot of people like that, where they're more worried about the law than life. Than life. And Jesus was so mad, it says in other texts, that he called the guy forward and he said, extend your hand. And then his hand got perfect. And they were mad. The new wine, it's meant to give life to you. It's life. Jesus is life. Grace sets us free. The law, obedience, doesn't do anything. It just judges. We're, we're to be alive, alive people. I once heard somebody said the greatest testimony for Christ is a man fully alive. I agree with that. So my question is, have, have you been drinking If you've been drinking the new wine, this is what becomes true of you. New wine won't make you drunk. Actually, it makes you more the person you've ever been. Really, a man isn't fully alive until Christ is in his life. A man doesn't become fully himself. A woman doesn't become fully herself until Jesus takes over. Everything else is sort of to meet everybody's expectations. What's cool in Christ is in your life, you don't have to meet norms. You become who you've been designed to be. So new wine doesn't make you drunk, but rather after drinking, it, you'll finally be able to really see. Like, you know how wine actually makes you go into a stupor? God, Christ's wine makes you finally see clearly. Makes you understand. You don't need to put on a front or a show. And most of all, when you really drink wine, you will start loving those who are nothing like you at all. It's so weird when this happens. Those people you used to separate from, not talk to, not care about because they're not like you, they don't go to your church. They don't think the way you are. You're Republican. They're Democrats. When you drink the wine, you start caring and start seeing things and listening, being open. Doesn't mean you have to. Acceptance doesn't mean you adopt. Acceptance means you. You affirm their human beings with dignity. Love those who are not like you. So the the point is. Which wine are you drinking? I just want to give you three stories, the story of Vinny, Larry, and Jeff Sartori. Vinny was the guy I went to fraternity with. Vinny, a week, about a month after I got saved, he heard that I was going to Moody Bible Institute. Somehow I heard that. 
called me up. He said, hey, what's going on? I said, well, I'm, I'm going to study the Bible. He goes, so does that mean we can't go to spring break anymore? No, Vinny, we can't. He didn't talk to me anymore. To me, spring break is not what Christ wants. No. I said no. Larry was my roommate. My other roommate got married, and we were the best. We were in his wedding party, and we went to West Virginia for the, for the wedding. And, you know, they're having a bachelor party. We went to dinner, but then they were going to go to all the bars in Wheeling. And I said, I can't do that. I just can't do that because I know what it ends up to be, and I can't confirm your drunkenness. And he's like, what's happened to you? Seriously, what's happened to you? Why, why are you so serious? Was he kept saying, why are you so serious about this? I said, it's not that I'm, it's, I'm serious. The word of God is, has me captive, and I can't be a fool anymore. I just can't. And he was mad. I got to tell you, he was really mad. Because in a sense, I was the guy that he liked to have that kind of fun with. And I, I wasn't able to share that. That's hard when you lose a friend. But my heart's captive to the word of God. And then Jeff Sartori, this was the strangest story. I might have told it once before up here, but when I was going to Moody Bible Institute for grad school, my fraternity from Dayton was having a party in downtown Chicago at an Irish pub. A hundred of my fraternity brothers were going. And they knew I was going to school in Chicago. They say, you got to come. We just want to see you. What's wrong with you? You fell off the face of the earth. And I, I had two people come stand outside this Irish pub while I went and pray for me while I was in there. And I just wanted to meet my friends. They had an Irish band up there. They had 20 kegs, green beers flowing. I got a Coke, and I had all my friends come up and talk to me, saying, What's, what happened to you? And some were really mocking me. One of, one of my fraternity brothers said, So if you don't believe in Jesus, what happens to you? And I said, What do you want me to say? What happens to you? I said, do you want me to say you go to hell? All right, you're going to go to hell. Is that what you wanted? He's like, I knew it. See, I knew it. It was a weird night, you know, one of those weird nights. And I had other people drunker than skunks confessing every sin to me because they thought I was a priest. It was a weird night. I mean, it was a weird night. I got home. Two weeks later, I get a phone call. Hello? Hey, can I meet with you? Who is this? Jeff Sartori. Jeff Sartori. He worked downtown Chicago as an accountant. He said, I was watching you all night. I said, what do you mean? He goes, I was watching you because I need to know if you really believe what you say. And I think you do. And I've got questions. And he came over to my house, and he's telling me how his mom and dad split up, and his dad started living with his aunt, his mom's sister. And he, he, he couldn't handle life anymore, and he needed answers. So I said, here's what I want you to write, all your questions while Bible study. So for every Monday for the next three months, he'd come with a legal pad of all these questions, and I was able to lead him to Christ. Jeff Sartori is now an elder to church in Ohio. But he was watching. I, I think that's, when you go to where sinners are, they will watch you. How are you behaving? Are you drunk? If you are, nobody's going to listen to you. Are you dull? Like, just mad? Who wants your life? Are you really enjoying the people, but do you have real convictions? Real answers? Because I believe if Jesus is really in your life, you don't have to worry about being polluted. The Holy Spirit's in you. Greater is he that lives in me than he that's in this world. 
if you really have Jesus. If you're a legalist, you'll, you'll fall because you're trying to, trying to have all these boundaries so I can't cross them. No, I live in Christ. He gives me the Spirit of God. I'm not always worried I'm going to fall. How about you? So I want to close this in prayer and a song. And I'll lead it a cappella. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this message made sense, especially on a Memorial Day weekend when people are out camping or out going to friends this afternoon and tomorrow. I pray we'll delight in our, our Savior. We'll, we'll, we'll be proud of Him. We'll listen for opportunities to talk, but not be bombastic. Father, I pray for everybody in here. I pray that they would really evaluate which wine are they sipping. I pray you're pleased by this message and that uh, we're blessed because we came today. Thanks for this scripture and what, what Christ means to all of us. He is our new wine.